The Rebbe starts off the Sikha by saying that we discussed many times that Pirush Rashi al although he's of course coming to explain the simple meaning of the Psukim, as Rashi himself emphasizes many times, and already right in the first Sedra he says, I'm only coming to explain the simple meaning. But Rashi also contains in Yanum of Floyd very, very amazing aspects of the other parts of the Torah as well, even the secrets of the Torah, as it's known, the Vort of the Alter Rebbe, that Rashi and Chumash is Yenish Shol Torah, contains the wine of Torah. But in order to be able to appreciate and understand these in Yanum of Floyd, these amazing and fascinating things, and the Yenish Torah within Rashi, we first need to learn and understand the simple meaning of the of the Rashi, because also these amazing, fascinating aspects of Rashi and the Yenish Torah Rashi had put inside inside this Pshutesh Mikra. So also in our Pasha says remember we find a Pirush of Rashi which contains in Yanum Ufloim amazing aspects in the in the area of Halacha and so to Yenish Torah. But first we need to explain the Pirush Apashat of the Rashi. So the Rebbe is discussing over here the Psukim that are describing how Yahushua and Kalav are speaking to the Bnei Yisroel after the Miraglim's report, and Yeshua and Kalav are speaking to the Bnei Yisroel regarding going into Eretz Yisroel. So the Pasuk says, Ach Hashem al timroidu, do not rebel against Hashem. The Atem al not to be afraid of the people of the land. Ki heim, they are our bread. Sor tzilom, their shade has been removed, as Rashi will explain soon what that means. And the Rebbe is going to look at three Rashis on this Pasuk. So Rashi quotes first the words al timroidu, do not rebel. And Rashi says, Vishuv vi'atam al-tiru. You won't rebel then. As a result of that, al-tiru, you won't be afraid. So the Mepharshim explained that Rashi is coming to explain that the flow of the Pasuk, the al-tiru, is not a separate statement, don't be afraid, but al-tiru is as a result of al-timroidu. You won't rebel, and then al-tiru. If you won't rebel against Hashem, then also you won't fear the nations. And what's forcing Rashi to say this is, one way of understanding it is the change of order within the words of the Pasuk. But Al-Timroidu at first says, Bahashem, whom you're not going to rebel against. Bahashem Al-Timroidu. Then by Al-Tiru, it first says Al-Tiru and then it says Es Amo Oretz. From this Rashi understands that these two statements are connected to each other. In other words, you won't rebel and straight from not rebelling. As a result of that, you won't fear. Another explanation is because rather than saying vi'altiru, which would then make it as another statement, it says vi'atem, it says v'ashem altem roidu, vi'atem, and you, which makes it sound like it's continuing from the previous part. And that's why Rashi says that altem roidu is as, altiru is as a result of altem roidu. However, the Rebbe says this explanation is difficult because according to this, in Rashi's Dibra Maschil, he should have first of all quoted the word Bahashem. Also, the later words, v'atem al-tiru es amo'aretz, or at least hinted it through a v'goymer, which are the words, according to these mafarshim, that are forcing Rashi's pirush. From the fact that Rashi does not bring the word ba'ashem, or the later words in the Pesach, v'atem al-tiru es amo'aretz, is understood, that what's forcing Rashi to explain it this way is mainly not so much these words of the Pesach, but more the general idea of al-timroidu, of what, what, the, what, what the Yeshua and Kalav are saying, don't rebel, which are the words that Rashi quotes. The Rebbe moves on to the next Rashi. On the post, on the words, they are our bread. Rashi explains it means, we'll eat them like bread. So the Rebbe asks, number one, what's Rashi's Chidush? It seems to be obvious that if we're speaking about people and we call, say, they are our bread, 
Obviously, they're not bred in the simple sense. So it's an expression that it's going to be easy to, to win them as easy as eating bread. So what's Rashi telling us? On the other hand, if what it's trying to tell us is that it's going to be as easy as eating, so why, why bread specifically? What's the difference if it's bread or another type of food? It could have said simply, Noichlem, we'll eat them. So why does the Pasuk say, Lachmenu? Why does Rashi have to emphasize, Kalechem? And then the Rebbe says, on the contrary, Rashi should have explained that Lachmenu actually means we'll eat them like food, not like bread. As we find a number of places in Torah that Lechem is just a general reference to all types of food. And finally asks the Rebbe, why is Rashi quoting also the word of the Pasuk, Ki Lachmenu? Why is Ki relevant over here? Rashi doesn't seem to be explaining the word Ki. The Rebbe now moves to the next Rashi. The Pasuk says, Sartzilam, their shade was removed. Rashi explains what this means is, Maginam v'choskam, their protection, their strength. Ksherim shabahem the ones that were kosher, the good, the good ones amongst these nations have died. More specifically, it's referring to Eoiv that was protecting them. He has died. That's Rashi's first pirush. Another pirush on Silam, it means the shade of Hashem was removed from them. The protection, the shade of Hashem was removed from them. So we need to understand, why does Rashi need two pirushim? What is the advantage in each one of them? So the Rebbe starts explaining the Rashi's in the following way. What's forcing Rashi to say, that you won't be afraid is as a result of don't rebel against Hashem, and not that it's a separate statement for itself, don't be afraid, is because earlier on, the Miraglim had argued that Az the people of the land are so strong and powerful. They say, they see these huge people, giants. We felt like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and that's the way we were viewed by these giants as well. Now, Yeshua and Kalev don't come along and disregard these claims or contradict these claims. So the question then is, how are Yeshua and Kalev expecting that the people shouldn't be afraid of the people of the land without giving any sort of explanation? Why, Altiru, why shouldn't you be afraid? The question is even stronger later on in the Parsha. When the Yidden hear that they're not going to be allowed in territory Yisrael, the Pasuk says, they get up in the morning early, they said, we just want to go to Eretz Yisrael, Moshe Rabbeinu says, don't go, so you won't be destroyed by the Amaleki, by the Knani. It sounds like even Moshe Rabbeinu is saying that there's plenty what to be afraid of these Goyim. So why are Yeshua and Kalev saying, Al-Tiru, don't be afraid? Another question. With the words by Hashem Altim Roidu, don't rebel against Hashem, Yeshua and Kalev clearly mean to say they should fulfill what Hashem says, go to Eretz Yisrael. So seemingly they should have said that directly. They should have said that specifically. Let's go to Eretz Yisrael. What is this general claim of by Hashem Altim Roidu, don't rebel against Hashem? It is, it is these questions that Rashi is coming to answer with saying that Altim Roidu, don't rebel against Hashem, leads directly into va'atem al-tiru, then automatically you won't be afraid. What Yeshua and Kalev are saying is, that not being afraid is as a result of not rebelling. That means, yes, it's true that the people of the land are strong, and seemingly there's plenty room to be afraid of them. Nevertheless, if al-tim if you don't rebel against Hashem, if you do what Hashem wants, then there's no room, even according to nature, there's no room to be afraid of, even for a strong nation, because you have Hashem with you. And this is why, why Yeshua and Kalev are saying, Ba'ashem al-Timroidu, they don't just say, let's go to Eretz Yisroel, because once Ba'ashem al-Timroidu, once you don't rebel against Hashem, then it completely removes all of the claims that the people are strong, 
and therefore, why, why Altino, why they shouldn't be afraid, because once they don't rebel against Hashem, then there's nothing to be afraid, and automatically they'll be able to go into Eretz Yisrael. Says the Rebbe, now we can understand how the next Rashi flows and follows directly from this, they are our bread, we'll eat them as bread. What does this mean? Says the Rebbe, the word Lachmenu over here can actually be translated as bread in the literal sense, and therefore it should be translated in that way. So what would have we thought if not for Rashi? If not for Rashi, we would have understood Lachmenu as meaning that going into Eretz Yisrael and conquering the people there is as necessary as much as bread is necessary. And that would tell us the comparison to bread specifically, and also what it means, ki lachmenu because they are our bread. Perhaps what the Miraglim was saying was, al tiru don't be afraid of these people, because lachmenu because they are our bread, meaning to conquer them, and to go into Eretz Yisrael is an absolute necessity, and therefore you absolutely cannot be afraid of them. But since we explained already that va'atam al tiru, is not because they are a necessity, not because they are our bread, we're explaining Vatam Altiru is because you're not going to rebel against Hashem because we're going with a Koyach of Hashem. So we cannot say anymore that the reason you're not af- afraid of them is because they are a necessity as bread. Also, says the Rebbe, if really they are a necessity to go into Eretz Yisrael, then how did the Eden manage the next 39 years not going into Eretz Yisrael? And this is why Rashi says, The comparison to bread specifically is not about how necessary it is, but rather in the way it's eaten. We're going to conquer Eretz Yisrael, we're going to have them like eating bread. What does this mean? What's this idea of bread specifically? Rashi doesn't have to tell us. The Ben Chamish Lemikra learned earlier in Bishalach already, something that Rashi said regarding Lechem. Rashi told us that the bread, that the Yidin had asked Hashem in a proper and appropriate way, Hashem is going to give it to them, this is referring to the Mon, in a loving way, with a shining face. So when it comes over here to our Pasuk Lachmenu Heim, and we say, Noichleim Kalechem, we're going to eat them as bread, we understand that this means that Hashem is going to give the Goyim, the conquering of the Goyim, the consumption of these Goyim, in a way of derechibo, also in a loving way, with a shining face, just like He gives them the bread. And therefore, that makes the reason much stronger of why you're not going to be afraid of them, Ki Lachmenu Heim. There's absolutely nothing to be afraid of them because Hashem is giving them to us in a loving way with a shining face as we said before. Now the Rebbe moves to the two Pirushim on Sartzilam which again we explained the first Pirush was that their strength Kshayrim Shebehemesu the kosher ones amongst them died Eev died and the second Pirush was that the shade of Hashem was removed from them. So the Rebbe starts off by explaining we can understand the advantage of the second Pirush, why Rashi needs a second Pirush. And that is from Rashi's words himself. How is that? In his Pirush, Rashi says, Tziloi shel the shade of Hashem, Sarmei was removed from over them. Whereas in the beginning of the Rashi, when Rashi quotes the words of the Pasuk, which the words of the Pasuk apply for both Pirushim equally, Rashi only quotes the words Sar Tzilam. He doesn't bring the word Me'aleim from the Pasuk. That means the word Me'aleim in, this, in the second Pirush of Rashi is actually the key to why Rashi needs that second Pirush. How is that? When we say the word Sar, sor, especially Sar Me'aleim, it means that whatever it was that was moved went away from where it was, Me'aleim from over the nations in this particular case, and right now is somewhere else it means it still exists later on, so it's just not where it was before. 
The problem with the first Pirush in saying this is, if we're saying Shadim Shabbat Mesu, that the righteous ones amongst them died, that means this sale, this protection that they had is completely not here anymore. So you can't say Sar, that it just moved, and surely not Sar Me'aleim and moved from over them, because it's, whoever died is completely gone. And this is why Rashi is giving us a second Pirush, and he says Tzilom is referring to the shade of Hashem. The problem, however, is, sorry, according to this, the word Sar and Sar Me'aleim definitely fits very well now. Because the sail of Hashem, the shade of Hashem is always exists. And as the Pasuk says, establishes his covenant to all of Noach's children, to all of the Goyim, etc., to protect them, and so on and so forth. Hashem's mercy is always on all of his creations. However, so Hashem's mercy is always there, Hashem's protection is always there. But in this particular case, on these Goyim, Hashem is now removing that so that the Yidin will be able to conquer them. But the truth of the matter is, that even according to the first Pirush, although this is a little bit difficult, but at least we would be able to say what means, even though we said that the Kshayim Shabbat Mesu, then seemingly they're gone. Now what do we mean? It just moved away somewhere else. It was removed. So we could still explain it as the Rebbe is about to explain, and therefore Rashi does bring it. The first Pirush. And in fact, he brings it as a, as a first Pirush, because in some ways, it's much stronger and closer to Pshutish Mikra, as we'll see. How would we be able to explain Sor Me'aleim according to the first Pirush? Because when Yeshua and Kalev are saying Sor, Tzilom, that their shade was removed, and what we, and according to Rashi's first Pirush, it would mean that Kshadim Shemem, the righteous ones died, they're not coming to speak about these, their, their focus is not what happened to these people that are gone now. The focus is the people of the land who were being protected. So therefore, the main point is they don't have their protection anymore. And therefore, you don't have to be afraid of them. So it's not so relevant, really, what happened to them, whether they're gone completely or not gone completely. What's mostly relevant is the people, the nations that are remaining in the land, don't have that protection anymore. And therefore, you could still sort of say, Tzor, Tzilom, in other words, there's nothing to be afraid of them because they don't have their sale, even though technically regarding these Kshayim, they're not only moved somewhere else, but they're completely gone because they died. Now we understand that this is a little bit of a doichik, and therefore Rashi does bring the second Pirush. On the other hand, this Pirush of Maginam V'choskom, the first Pirush of Rashi, that, Rashi, that, that Tzilom means their strength was removed, their, their protection was removed, their kosher ones had died, Says Rebbe, this one still is a very, very strong Pirish. And on the contrary, in simple Pshat of the Pasuk, it makes more sense. It's more fitting, and that's what Rashi is going to bring it first. Because since the Psukim are speaking about the Goyim, it makes more sense that when you say the word Silam, their sails, their shade, it makes sense to say that it's referring to Kshayrim Shabahem, the righteous ones of amongst them. Not the shade of Hashem, especially then it should have just said Sorhat Sail. And therefore, according to Rashi, this Pirish of that it means the kosher ones of them, the righteous ones of them died, which means their protection, the ones from amongst them, Rashi brings that as the first and main pirush. From here, the Rebbe now moves on to what was discussed in the beginning of the Sikha, the Inyonim Mufloim in Pirush Rashi. And the Rebbe says, these two pirushim of Rashi are dependent on the of the Rambam and the Raivad. And we seem to be going off in a totally different direction now, but it'll all be brought back very soon. The Rambam Paskins, 
that the shechita of a goy, akum, someone that serves over the zara, is a nevela, is considered nevela, and therefore it causes what's called a tumor of if someone carries it, it, it causes tumor. Metamo bamaso. The Rambam says this is true whether it's a, someone that serves the Zara or a Kusi or even a Ger Toshav. All of these people, Shechitasa, Nevela, their Shechita is considered a Nevela. The Rambam goes on to say, that it seems to me that this is a Medrabonon because the whole concept of Tumas Avoidezara and anything that was brought to Avoidezara is all Medrabonon. And therefore the Shechita of this guy is also Medrabonon. The Raivet argues in the Rambam. And says, the goyim are like behemois. They cannot make other things tame. They cannot become themselves tame. They are called am hadoyim They're compared to a donkey. Or as it says, hein goyim kimarmedli. The goyim are like a drop in the, bu- in the bucket. And ve'eskulom yisaruach, he says, they could all just be carried away with the wind. Anyone that considers the goyim as anything, osaf ruach it's like taking a bunch of ear in your hands. So in other words, there's not, there's, they're not considered anything at all. The Kasef Mishnah asks on the Ravid, how is this relevant over here to the fact that the Goyim don't make Tommy and don't become Tommy themselves? Here we're speaking not about the Goyim themselves, whether they are making something Tommy or not. We're speaking about their Shechita. What's the status of their Shechita? So the Ragachover comes along and explains what's, what the Ravid is saying. What he's saying is, is that when could you say that the shechita could come and ruin something and make something into a nevela is only if the shoichet is a metzius, is an existence according to halacha. If, however, as the Ravid puts it, the goyim are nothing, then you can't say that you shouldn't ruin something either. And this is what the Ravid is trying to say. The akum, the goyim are like behemoths and they don't become tamay, they don't make, they don't make things tamay. Or they're just like ear, they're just like head, they're, they're, they're absent, it's like not a metzius at all, so you can't say that their shechita should come along and make something into an avela. And therefore, the raivad would learn that the reason why the shechita of a guy is an avela is not because it's as if he shechted it, and he ruined something, and he messed something up, but because of a totally different reason. The shechita of a guy is not considered shechita at all. And therefore, it's an avela, it would be more like a, a behemoth that had just died on its own. The Rebbe explains, why does the Ravid bring in this whole idea of ein mitamin, of ein mitamin, that they don't make things tummy and they don't become tummy themselves? Seemingly, according to the beer of the Ragachover, all that matters is that they're not a Metzius, that they're not an existence. Why is it relevant over this whole concept of tumor that they don't make things tummy, etc.? Says the Rebbe, we can explain that everyone agrees, even the Ravid would agree, that in certain aspects of halacha, the Goyim definitely are some sort of Metzius. For example, we have the dinam of the avoidazara of a goy, which would be asr bahano, even to a yid, and other halachas that are relevant to goyim. And therefore, the Ramam can't just come along and say the goyim are nothing or they're like behemoths, in all, as a blanket statement. And therefore, the raivet has to say they don't make things tummy, they don't become tummy. In other words, as far as the dinam of tumma, they are like behemoths, or they're like non-existent. To use the Ravid's term, Asaf Ruach Bechafnov, he's gathering wind in his hands. And therefore, according to the Ravid, it wouldn't be possible that the behemoth that they shechted should become Tommy, because they are not shaykh to this whole concept of making things Tommy. Says the Rebbe, this machloikas 
between the Rambam and the Raivad. Whether the Goyim are considered a Metzius in existence, or they are more like Heder, they're absent, they're not a, a non-existence, also brings to another Lishitosayu, in other words, another dis- Machloikas that would be, in regards to Goyim, in connection to the whole idea of Ashgacha Pratis. According to the Rambam, which we said they are a Metzius, and therefore, they're also begeder hashgacha protes. They also fall under the category of hashgacha protes in the most detailed way. According to the Raivid, on the other hand, which they are like a non-existence. So you don't have in them the regular concept of what the, of hashgacha protes. Now, of course, as the Rebbe points out in the footnotes over here as well, doesn't mean there's absolutely no hashgacha protes. We understand there's different levels of hashgacha protes and so on and so forth. But there isn't the regular Ashgacha Protis because they're a non-existent. You don't have the proper union of Ashgacha Protis by them. As the Rebbe will explain some more of this later. Says the Rebbe, we can now say that these two Pirushim of Rashi, whether Tzilom, their shade, the shade of these Goyim, refers to their own strength, their own protection, the righteous ones amongst them, or refers to the shade of Hashem, is dependent on these two opinions of the Rambam and the Raivet. According to Rashi's first Pirush, Bnei Noyach would be considered as header, as a non-existence. More going according to the Raivad. And therefore you can't say that Silam refers to the shade of Hashem that was there previously and now Sarmei Aleim now was removed from them, which would have showed, which would have shown that they are a real Metzius. And the proof would be if it had, they have the shade of Hashem. What is a shade? The shade is usually going to be according to the Metzius of the existence of who's, who the shade is from. The Rebbe says, just like a shadow in the simple sense, a tzel is a shadow of a person. In a similar way, if we say the tzel of the Hashem is on them, it would mean that Hashem is their shade, their shadow, it's measured according to them, but if they're a metzies, a metzies of Hedder, if they're not a non-existence, they can't have that shade, so to speak, of Hashem. And as the Ragachover explains, and according to this, there's no level, there's no gedr of Ashgacha Pratis, according to the Raivid. And therefore, we're going to have to say is, that it's not referring to the shade of Hashem, the Ashgacha Pratis of Hashem over them. Rather, what we're going to say is, their own strength, in other words, their own righteous ones died, but not that the shade or protection of Hashem was removed from them. However, according to the second Pirush, the Bnei Noyach Goyim are also considered in existence, which goes according to the Shita of the Rambam. They're also under the general category of Ashgacha Pratis. And therefore, you could say that Sila means the shade of Hashem, the protection of Hashem. It refers, Aleim, it refers to them, the Tzail, is, is their shade, it's their protection, it's connected to their Metzies, they are in existence. To explain this a little bit more, I'll be Pnimi the meaning of Tziloi Shel Hamokim, the shade of Hashem or the shadow of Hashem, is, as Chassidus explains, that the Pu'ulois, the deeds that a person accomplishes, when he accomplishes something up above, is connected to, related to the action that he did. You do something down here and it has an impact, Lamailo. This is similar to the famous Peter Shadab Al Shem on the Posik Hashem. Tzilcha, Hashem is your shade or Hashem is your shadow. That according to the way a person acts down here, the things are happening in a similar way. Just like the shadow of a person is following, is copying, is, is working according to the movements of the person. In a similar way, says the Rebbe, although not exactly again like by Ayid, but in a similar way, we also say by the Goyim, we say Tzilcha, the shade of Hashem, 
that since Hashem doesn't hold back the reward for every single creature, so therefore, the things that they do down here, Kavayochel are also causing something Lamaila, and that's the idea of the tzel. It's also bringing something Milamaila down to them. That means when they do a good deed, when they do the Sheva Mitzvah B'nai Noyach, they're going to get reward. And when they are being over in Aveira, so then again from, a, 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 from above, there's going to come something to reciprocate for that as well. There's going to be something similar to that, similar to what they did. They, they, they caused a certain damage and now there's going to be a certain punishment that's caused as a result of that. Says the Rebbe, but that only fits according to the Rambam, that the Umas Oilam, that the Goyim Aramitzis, then you could say that the Hamshaka from above is going to go according to the specific thing that was done down here. This fits in with the whole idea that they are in the gather of Ashgacha Pratis. However, according to the Raivid, which they're done like a non-existence, you can't say then that their pu'ula, what they're doing, should draw down something similar to what they did from above. Because they're not within this gather, as we said, of Ashgacha Pratis, there isn't this direct connection between their actions and what's going on above. So what, what does reward and punishment mean by, according to the Raivid? It's rather something that's coming in an automatic, in an automatic way, more than like a secondary way, as a result of why they're even created. The reason the Goyim are created is Bishvil Yisrael for the Yidin. Says the Rebbe, just like we find in regards to an animal, we also refine what seems to be something like reward and punishment, but of course it works in a very different way. The Torah says, when a certain thing happened, a certain Aveira happened to the person as a result of the behema, so the animal gets killed. Now the animal, of course, you can't say the animal sinned. As the expression is, behema machot, what did the behema sin? But because a certain stumbling block happened to the person as a result of the behema, so therefore we punish the behema as well. But it's not the regular category of, of punishment. Rather, since the whole point of the animal is to assist the person, so if the behemoth is not assisting the person, but rather causing damage, then there's no room for this animal anymore. So we say, Vesa behemoth haroigu. Says the Rebbe, in a similar way is what we would say, according to the Raivid, the way reward and punishment works by the Goyim. Since the whole purpose of the world is Bishvil Yisrael for the Yidin. So it has to be that even the mitzvahs that the Bnei Noyach get is very different. It's not like the mitzvahs that the Yidin get, which the purpose is those mitzvahs itself. Rather, the Goyim and even their mitzvahs is all secondary, it's all Bishvil Yisrael. And as discussed in the past at length, that, the, that their mitzvahs are for Yishuv Oilam, so that the world should be able to be a settled proper place, so that the Yidin can be able to work with this world and make it a dira for Hashem through their Torah and mitzvahs. And therefore, their reward and punishment for their Shev and mitzvahs B'nai Noyach is more like a natural result that comes out of the purpose of why they're here. In other words, if they're not fulfilling the purpose, then automatically there's no room for them either. And says the Rebbe, now we can also understand why we don't find different kind of punishments for the different Averis of Bnei Noyach. Rather, it's all always the same thing. There's just Misa. Because it's just one general thing. They didn't fulfill their Tachlis. They don't, they don't belong here anymore. This is very different to the concept that we spoke before, which would be according to the Rambam, the concept of a tzel, more like a shadow, which the shadow is specifically being changed according to what the person is doing. Not just one general category, uh, an idea whether the person is doing the right thing or the wrong thing. But very much being impacted by every activity of the person. Says the Rebbe, now we could see the chiluk b'pnimi in these two pirushim of Rashi. The first pirush is going according to the Ravid. 
B'nai Noach, as we said, are begeder head, they're like, a, they're, 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 an, they're like absent, a non-existence. So therefore, the reward and punishment is just like an automatic thing, based on if they're doing the right or the wrong things. And therefore, Rashi says, Tzilom is not referring to the shade of Hashem. Rather, it's speaking to their own strength, their own protection. In other words, when they have people that are righteous, so they automatically, that strengthens them. But it's not that they're accomplishing anything Lamailo. Whereas according to the second Pirush of Rashi, that's according to the Rambam that they are a Metzius. And there is Ashgacha Protis. And therefore, as we're soon going to conclude, therefore there is the shade of Hashem upon them being impacted by their pulleys. Now even though, of course, also according to the Rambam, the Metzius of Bnei Noyach and their Sheva Mitzvahs are also for the Yidden, but nevertheless, since they did get a mitzvah, they were commanded for their mitzvahs, especially the Sheva mitzvahs, the Abish commanded in the Torah and, and let it, and let it be known through Moshe Rabbeinu. So we have to say that when they are fulfilling the mitzvah of the Abish, they are accomplishing something like that also in what's being drawn down below Milo. And therefore you could use, as Rashi says, Tzilu Shalamokam, the shade of Hashem is coming down in a specific way to them according to their particular action, and that's why it could be called Tzilom, their own shade. Says the Rebbe, based on all of this, we can now explain what seems to be a little bit not understood in the flow of the Psukim and in Rashi. And the Rebbe asks a few questions. Number one, why is why are Yeshua and Kalev even adding this point of Sor Tzilom They had said earlier, Im Banu, if Hashem wants us, then we'll be able to go in, etc. We understand that that's a necessity. You have to say that. The fact that they said, don't rebel and then you won't be afraid, Rashi explained already that once you, as we explained earlier, that once you don't rebel against Hashem, you won't be afraid. We're going with the power of Hashem. And therefore, even according to nature, there's absolutely no room for any fear of the people. And as we also explained, like bread that Hashem is giving them all over to us in a loving way, with a shining face, etc. All of that is describing the situation of how Yidin are and how they need to be, etc. Why is it relevant to let us know what's going to be with the people? That their shade has been removed. Or to put it in a little bit of a different words, If Hashem wants to give it to us, He'll give us the land, and we won't rebel against Hashem, so we won't be afraid. But why is it relevant to know to, for us to know what's happening with their protection? Whatever is supposed to happen will happen. Hashem is taking care of us. Another question that Rebbe has is, if noichleim, if we're going to consume them, then obviously they don't have their protection, they don't have their strength. So why do we have to say Sar Tzilom? Another question. Later in the Pasuk it says again, Al Tiram, don't be afraid of them. And furthermore, we just said that it's enough Al Timroidu, as long as you don't rebel automatically, you won't be afraid. And now suddenly you have to say, Oh, Hashem is with us, so don't be afraid. What's going on over here? Says the Rebbe, so to explain this, in conquering Eretz Yisrael, there was actually three categories of people. There were those that died, there were those that were chased away, immediately chased away, so they're completely gone also. And then there is those that will be driven away after the Yidden fill up the land and multiply, etc., etc. And in the meantime, they were the servants of the Yidden, and as the Pasuk refers to them as Lachmenu, we're consuming them as bread and so on. 
a continuation to all of, and, and how it fits with everything we said before. It says the Rebbe like this. Even according to Rashi Second Peter, that by Goyim there is also this concept of Tzilu Yishalom Okim, Hashem's protection, the Ashgacha Protest, as the Rambam says. We also understand that it's definitely in no way similar to the Ashgacha Protest that exists for Yidin. As said before, it's only the mitzvahs of Yidin that we say that the purpose is in them itself and not for something else. And this is what Yeshua and Kalev are emphasizing. The first thing is they're coming to deal with the argument of Azaam, that the people are strong. So they say, don't rebel against Hashem, and then you have nothing to be afraid of, you won't, you won't be afraid. We, there's nothing to be afraid of the people of the land, no matter what's happening with the people. Because we don't rebel against Hashem, there's absolutely nothing to be afraid of the people. Then they add, and they say furthermore, and this is needless to say, according to the first Pirish of Rashi, that they don't have their strength anymore, but even according to the Pirish about the shade of Hashem is no longer on them. And furthermore, they say, Hashem is Itanu, he's only with us. Where is Hashem? Completely the opposite of Sartzilim. Hashem has gone away from the Goyim, and where is Hashem? With us. In other words, not only the Yidin are not missing the protection of Hashem, but furthermore, Hashem, Itanu, Hashem is with us. What does it mean with us? By the goyim, the ashgacha of Hashem, even when it is there, it's in a way of say like a shade or a shadow, which is makif, which is surrounding on top of them, but not inside of them. But by the yidin, when the abish does not only like a tzail, makif, but rather of Hashem itanu, Hashem with his ashgacha is one with us. And therefore it's understood that that brings to even furthermore, not only al-tiru but also al-tira'um, just plain al-tira'um, meaning to say not only when they're no longer amo'aretz, because they're given over to us, but they're still some sort of existence, lachmenu, but rather they completely become no metzius at all, because because their protection is completely gone. Says the Rebbe, this also fits with the three categories that we're told that there's the concept of completely eradicating the Goyim. There is the idea of asu shalom, of those that made peace, and are going to serve the Yidden. And then there are those, girgoshi, that were removed, they ran away, and they went to Africa. And the Rebbe concludes, uh, just before concluding, that just the three things that the Rebbe is saying over here is, that mitzad the Indian of, al-tiro, don't be afraid of them. As long as you don't rebel against Hashem, you have nothing to be afraid of them, that means even as they're right here, they do exist, we have nothing to be afraid of them. And then there's sartzilom, the idea of their protection being removed, and therefore ultimately, they get chased away. They, they get chased away, immediately get chased away. And then there's the idea of Vashem Itonu, that because Hashem is only with us, this is the other point that the Rebbe is saying, is that in Tzadis, the Goyim are completely um, gone, that they're completely destroyed, etc. If I understood correctly, these three things. And the Rebbe says, Soif, Soif. As the Gemara says about those people that went to Africa, when they came and they tried to claim against the Yidin, but then the Yidin answered them back, and the Yidin eventually, as the Gemara describes, got all of their fields as they were sown, and their vineyards as they were plowed, so the Yidin completely took over even those things that they had left behind.